USAW method of technique, and it's absolutely horrific. It's it's terrible. In the U.S., we love to micromanage technical coaching instead of just being like, dude, this is a snatch. This is a clean. This is a jerk. This is how you do it. And your first rep's going to suck, and the only way that you're going to get better is if you do this 5,000 more times. Like, that's that's lifting. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Cheeky Midweeky, where we are making strength and conditioning not boring anymore. And this episode, we have Dane Miller from Garage Strength, and we're going to talk about Olympic lifting and team sport athletes, and we're just going to kind of dive down some rabbit holes. So, Dane, first of all, thank you very much for coming on the show, brother. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, man. Um, so for anybody that is not familiar with your background, just kind of give them a, you know, rundown of who you are um, and just, yeah, just kind of fill everybody in on who you are. Uh, so I was a shot putter, uh, football player, uh, wrestler in high school. I ended up getting predominantly into throwing. I threw in college. Uh, I was trained by, after I went through college, I was trained by Dr. Anatoly Bunderchuk. Oh, wow. Um, and basically, uh, 2008, I worked with Olympic champion Adam Nelson a little bit, and that sort of sparked me to get into developing, like, a, my own sort of personal training center, my own, like, regional training center. That's sort of, like, the, the goal of everything that I wanted to have. And so since then, I've had – that was around 2008, fall of 2008. So since then, I've had um, – Two-time world bronze medalist Nick Wazdowski in wrestling. Um, I've coached at every single world championship since 2017 in weightlifting and in uh, track and field. I've coached, um, I'm currently coaching Hugo Barrett, who's an Olympian in, in sprint uh, cycling. Margot Gear, who was, I don't coach her anymore, but at the time she was a Pan American champion in the 100 meters uh, freestyle. I've had... Uh, eight different olympians that we've developed um actually alex rose from samoa has the area record in the discus in oceana and he is currently like number nine on the all-time list for discus throw i'm the current uh coach for yaime perez who got third at the olympics in 2021 i coached at the olympics in 2021 with five athletes uh, athletes from five different countries Coach Haley Reichert, who is the first American woman to medal at youth, junior, and world, or youth, junior, and senior levels for weightlifting. Uh, I've had like over 60 All Americans, um, three dozen plus national championships from different, or national champs from different countries. I'm the coach for Sam Mattis, who's the reigning discus national champion in the U.S. Coach Nick Singleton, who was a 2021 Gatorade National Player of the Year. He's now the starting running back at Penn State. Um, I'm also the strength and conditioning coach for South Dakota State Wrestling. And last year we had five guys in the blood round, which is the, the round if you win, you become an All-American, which was a school record. And then we had two guys All-American there. And one was uh, Tanner Sloan, who actually made the NCAA Finals from South Dakota State. So that's it's unbelievable. That's my background. Are you in? <clears throat> are you located in the Pennsylvania area or South Dakota State? Like, how are you able to do that too? That's awesome. So what we do is I'm in PA, um, and sort of the way I got linked with them was I had a a bunch of 
good wrestlers here. I had a, a kid named Pete Renda who ended up being really good at NC State, and he sort of got me linked up with Gwiz, Nick Gwizdowski, who's a two-time NCAA champ, the two-time world bronze medalist. So when I worked with Gwiz for about seven years, uh, Gwiz helped me develop like a little bit of prominence, I'd say, in the in the wrestling community, and they – they hit me up mainly also from I, I had some touch points with a guy in the UFC named Travis Vioff, and one of his guys was wrestling at South Dakota State, and they they have GAs every year, but they don't have any consistency year over year. So uh, they really? yeah they reached out to me. They get like their their football GAs basically like cross over into wrestling, but it, th those guys will end up moving on. And so they hit me up and they're yep. like, yo, could we could we do this where you would design the program? You get on a Zoom meeting like once a week. We talk through the program um, and then I meet with the guys once a month. And then once they're starting to get closer to peaking point in March, it gets a little bit a little bit more in depth. So it's sort of a unique thing where I'm in PA they're in South Dakota State, but we operate basically online, essentially through giant meetings like they'll have like last wednesday we had a big team meeting it's like i'm up on the big screen just swearing at him <laughs> <laughs> trying trying not to swear too much though you know that's unbelievable like you're the second <clears throat> person that i've heard about that les spellman's doing some stuff remotely um with the arizona football team doing some speed work stuff like you you two guys might kind of be pioneering something where more and more strength and conditioning coaches can do that. Do you see that being the trend because of how often there is that turnover? Ooh, that's a good question. I think so. And I also think, you know, I, I've spent a decent amount of time uh, with Chuck Losey at, at Penn State, and I've talked to him about what, where, where everything's going at, at the big power fives. And one of the things he brought up is like, unless you're the main like the main guy like like him right now at Penn State it's essentially like you bring in somebody who is like a functional guru you bring in somebody who is like the weightlifting guy or the powerlifting guy or the speed guy and i think like i i would say probably yes especially especially if if you do a good job delivering the product i think that's the one thing is like i you know i'm at home 8.30 to 9.30 because South Dakota State's an hour behind me. So it's like I got to get on a phone call and I can't get the kids to bed. And, you know, I got to make some sacrifices with the family just to make sure that that stuff does happen. Um, and so if you can de deliver the product well and also the other coaches are also communicating well with you, I think that – I think it's – it could happen. I think the, the downfall, though, is if, if coaches aren't communicating well – and if they're not actually acknowledging some certain things that are going on in the system, and even one of the earlier struggles and one of the biggest things for that I think that we do well here is like running a room with a big with a big group. And I think that the hardest part is like essentially, especially for for lifting, is like what are the where are the platforms, where are the squat racks, where are the benches, where are the plyos, and then how can we set all of that up in the room and flow. 35 to 40 kids through at certain certain points while dealing with you know in wrestling you got some kids cutting weight that can't do certain types of movement patterns or they can't lift as much and then other guys that are bigger so it's like monitoring that room was also a, a big 
obstacle up front but if you clarify all that and you're you're aware of it it makes it a little bit easier to get it done so i think it could it could happen quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button it helps us out and it helps you be notified when we have new content get released so again please hit that like and subscribe button if you enjoy this content and with that let's get back to the show yeah, you bring up a great point about understanding the function and flow of the room too, because it's like okay, you it's like communism. It might work on paper, but it actually doesn't work in reality. Like right. making sure, but that's where you just got to have really good relationships with the GAs. So, how do you go about doing that remotely? Um, group text. They also use a uh, Google <laughs> Chat. Yeah, yeah. It's like group texting, and if there's any, and if there's every, like. You know, one of the things with, with the GA there now is sort of communicating to him how I want these movements done and why. And so that way he can talk to the guys and say, all right, this is why we're doing this. And then, you know, what the other the other thing is, too, is like one of the other wrestling coaches was somebody who did consume my content on YouTube and followed me based, because of Gwiz. And so he was more bought into the, the system, too. So now it's just like with with their guys essentially it's like how how frequently we have touch points texting how frequently i can comment inside the 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 chat the google chat with the with the team so that the team does see that i'm part of it um and that i want them you know to win a national title you know and and to knock off guys like iowa or penn state you know like that's like they're the underdog right and it's like how much can i do that inside the 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 team chat versus also doing that with with the coaches so it's like it, it really just comes down to communicating a ton on on text message you mentioned youtube and you do have an unbelievably impressive youtube following and you know your online apps and everything is fantastic for any of our listeners out there who are continuing to try to learn that stuff, what would be some of your pieces of advice to them to be able to do the things that you've done in such a, you know, really good high level professional way? I think, I think for me, it it was, I don't know if I would recommend this as far as sanity and financial outcome, but like early on, I, I established a goal like, you know, I started in my parents' garage. Literally, that's where the name Garage Strength comes from is that my, my dad let us that's lift awesome. there. That's awesome. Yeah, like we <laughs> that's oh, awesome. We, we grew up lifting in our garage where the business started. And so, you know, we had about 400 square feet for four or five years. And for me, it was the main goal. The entire main goal has always been I want to develop a, a training center for throwers, for weightlifters for, and then turn that also with the combine site. And, 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 but the main thing in the beginning was always like, how can I develop, you know, the first step for me was I want to coach my first state champ in PA. It's like, if you, if in Pennsylvania, if you have state champs, like you're doing a good job. Next step was like, all right, I want to coach my first all American. Next step was like, okay, I want to coach my first NCAA champ. Okay. Now I want to get a guy to a world championships or to the NFL Okay, once that's okay, now I want to get somebody to the Olympics. And it was essentially the whole the whole process is entirely rooted around I want to be the best strength coach in the world. I want to be the best throws coach in the world. I want to be the best one of the best weightlifting coaches in the world. And it, and it's a it's not to sound, you know, hokey, but it, it comes back to my passion is is that. And it's like 
along the way, I had no idea what to do business-wise until COVID. And the best part <laughs> about COVID was I had to figure out how to make money and how to keep that rolling. And I think that for me, you know, now, and I will, I'll say like when I wanted to defend myself, when you called me a, a personal terrorist, I, I think like one of the aspects around that was I should have been, I should have clarified some of my points better in that old video, but also I think it's important to look at somebody who's trying to make f money online. I mean, one, it's okay to do that. It's okay to make money, but two, what's their, what's their motive. And for me, it's like, I want to make enough money so that we can, you know, we've, we've got right now, we've got like a, a 12 person post-collegiate training group for throwers. We're the only group now in the country. We've outlasted every single group since 2015. And it's like, if I can make more money to support more throwers to get them to eventually, you know, somebody wins an Olympic title, somebody wins a world title. That's, that's the main goal. And it's like the, the motive I think is the biggest part. And I think that a lot of guys, you know, you do fancy lifts with bands and, and weights attached to the bands hanging off and, and all this stuff. But what's the motive of that individual? Is that motive for that individual to create a learning atmosphere to develop the most amount of people or is it just money and i think like even here you know you look at haley haley i trained since sixth grade and now she's top four in the world and could go to the olympics and it's and that's the same thing as like we've got people that literally are from three miles in this radius that have i think we've got like seven of them that have made international teams so i think that's it but it goes it 100 percent goes back to that motive it, it, it it's like you can't it, at least in my opinion, you can't come into this and be like, I want to be a, the, a sports performance coach. And then you're solely focused on making money. Like you got to be focused on the performance of the athletes. Yeah, no, I will a hundred percent agree with you. Like uh, that was one of the things that I did learn at Iowa and Doyle talked about it. Like, look, we work with athletes. Like we're in the business of changing lives, working with athletes. And mm -hmm. that needs to be first and foremost. And there are, I would say too many coaches out there that are, um, you know, trying to sell a product that they've never actually done. They've never worked with athletes. And that was one of the things that I talked with John Wellborn from Power Athlete Radio. Um, and his episode is out this week where we talked about like he was actually just training people. He was writing the programs. Um, people were doing it during the week. And then he's traveling to different locations and like people are going and it was it was happening in real time. So there are a bunch of coaches out there that haven't actually coached anybody or work with anybody. So to hear the success that you guys are having in PA, because for anybody listening that might not be in PA, PA has got really good football. I don't know about their track um, or in their throwing and stuff. But from what you're saying, the fact that you guys got that many people locally doing those those big of events that's impressive and what is the what what throw event um are you guys the best in is it the you know hammer weight shot disc jab which one is it uh i would say discus um last year so last year mustafa hassan who is the he broke the egyptian national record in the shot and he works with us um God. But as far as shots concerned, it's tough because the U.S. is so good. Uh, we've got you know Joe Kovacs and Ryan Krauser right now, and we got like five guys that are unbelievably good. Whereas in the discus, um, Sam Mattis has won two U.S. national titles. Uh, he's made you know worlds or the Olympics every year since nineteen, and and he would be like our sort of 
American mainstay right now. And then Alex Rose, who's uh, he's American, but he throws for Samoa. He's like the other. Yeah, he just threw. He broke seventy meters this year. Um, he's number five in the world, and and I think he's like number eleven all time now on the on the list. So and then uh, Chama Onyekwere, she won the uh, the Commonwealth Games last year and broke the the Nigerian national record in the discus as well. So I would say, as far as comparing the two, I would I would probably lean towards the discus. As uh, I don't know if you're aware, you know, I highly doubt you are, but I worked with the throwers as well uh, when I was at Towson. I worked with them from 19 to 2023, and I do believe that that is one of the best sports to work with because it is a stopwatch sport. Like you can almost see, like, hey, are you doing your job, and is things improving? Mm-hmm. Because we're essentially an extension of what's happening outside, and. I think one of the things that made me and the throws coaches that worked there together well was there was really no ego. Like whether it was um, Zach, Tyler, or Lonnie, it was always like, hey, how can we do this? What that's best for the athlete? And then even being able to like take some movements that they wanted to do and throw it in the weight room because you talk about, you know, training under Bonderchuk. Like what was that like? Because you got to see the mecca of what strength coaches talk about. And and that's something that we talk at strength coach network a lot about, Hey, is it GPP? Is it S uh, SDE? Is it a C Mm -hmm. like, where are you? And you got to learn about that. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to shut up and listen to you talk about that. Cause that's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good story too. It's interesting. I actually hitchhiked across Canada. This is like 2007 or 2006, 2007, 2008. Okay. So I dropped out of college. I hitchhiked across Canada, and I happened to go through uh, Kamloops, British Columbia. And then I came back to school, finished my senior year, medaled at Big Tens, and, and did pretty well. And then I I saw on there was this old throws forum, and it was, you know, Anatoly Bunderchuk's looking for athletes to train to sort of be, you know, think about like a fight camp. This is going to be the fight camp for Dylan Armstrong, who was the Canadian shot put, like, the beast for 2007 you know i went up there 2007 and and we were going to be like his support group essentially um and there was i want to say four of us as shot putters a couple other hammer throwers went up there and i i moved you know worked at a a bar the whole time but and and to try and help fund the entire ish the the entire training like situation and i think for me it was I wanted to go there and get blown away and like have everything change uh, for me as far as as far as strength and conditioning was concerned. I grew up where my dad, you know, we would go to the local grocery store and he would let me get like uh, muscle fitness and he would let me buy, um, you know, the old school like bodybuilding magazines. Like um, I'm trying to think like some of the other ones, like just the old school stuff like flex magazine i remember those yeah flex was the big one that we would get all all the time and then i had (laughs) i had a high school strength coach who was into powerlifting and he was into weightlifting and so i had a pretty decent background i was really fortunate that my dad was into lifting my dad wrestled so he he had like a bodybuilding sort of background but then when i went up to train with dr b it was like all right this is your program this is what you're going to do in the morning and then you're going to come in the afternoon and you're going to do this and it's going to be you're going to do a power snatch. You're going to do a bench. You're going to do a reverse hyper. You're going to do a quarter squat. You're going to do, you know, a dumbbell step up. And then, you know, we're going to throw a cinder block, a concrete block. 
then you're going to come in the afternoon. You're going to do that again. And then you're going to come tomorrow and you're going to do the same workout again. And you're going to come in the afternoon. You're going to do the same workout again. And so we literally did the exact same workouts for taking a quick break from the show to talk to you guys about our sponsor team builder. If you have any online training platform needs, team builder is the go-to place. Team builder has the ability to integrate with velocity based training tools. They have the ability to program and have notes and videos for all of your athletes and your clients. This is your number one stop shop. Been using it since 2019 when I was working at Towson. So I've used it, love it. Make sure you check it out. Go ahead, click the link down in the description. And with that, let's get back to the show. I want to say the first six weeks there, I, I, I did the same workout morning, evening, back to back to back to back. And I'm like, dude, what? when is this going to stop? And then we changed to like a morning workout, a night and a nighttime workout. But those workouts were the same day to day. And so what I learned was you didn't need as much, at, at least at the elite level, you did not need as much absolute strength as I previously thought. Um, and ironically, I've sort of like come back around where I actually think that I actually think you do need a little bit more than I thought than when I was with Dr. B. But I think the main point of that engagement and, and learning scenario was Culture matters the most. The group that you're around matters the most, at least in these sports. And the technique matters the most as far as execution. And then throwing variable implements matters substantially because it helps improve technique. It helps improve strength. It sort of is like the bridge from the weight room to the to the circle. And it was just uh, one of those experiences that, that I could then take. And that, that's, that was the jumping off point for me to get in contact with Adam Nelson. I got in contact with Adam Nelson and he worked with me for about four months and then linked me up with Charles Poliquin. And so that's, that's where it was like wow. all of these things really started to like come together for me as a coach. It was like, okay, now I can go learn from Poliquin. I can implement some of the stuff I'm doing with Dr. B or some of the stuff I learned from Dr. B. And then for me, it was, all right, how can I get a kid that I'm going to get locally that's a normal, and I we call them like a normal person. How can I get it? What's the best system that I can create to get a normal person to the world-class level? I'm smiling because the word I use is NARP, uh, non-athletic related person. Wait, you, you split, you broke up there a little bit. I just saw, I just heard unathletic. <clears throat> I said, uh, the, the word that I have been taught before was NARP, N-A-R-P yeah. for non-athletic related person, right? Yeah, 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 yep, yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then with like, so after that little kind of foundational period of training with Dr. B, when did any of the specialization or the, the you know, the SDEs, how did those get kind of in, in laid out and maybe you didn't see it right away because you were the athlete and now with the coaches lens on you're like ah you know what that's what he was doing you yo you broke up again there the first part of the question i don't know if that's my end sorry oh no you're good so what i was saying is for you looking back you had that you know foundation phase and then when did some of those CE special developmental exercises get placed in? And maybe you didn't realize it when you were an athlete, but now okay. looking mm -hmm. back as the coach, when did you start to see it happen? Um, I think that's a, the interesting part was like, like CE stuff. Dude, we were doing that. Like the first program I was there, we were doing like 
half turns with dumbbells. Like, and I would, I mean, CE in my mind is like a competitive exercise essentially, right? Am I wrong with that? Yeah, no, that's the, the for what I've understood is yeah. it's the actual thing. So it would be yeah. throwing the shot put, you know, so like a SDE would be that. Hey, quarter turns with the dumbbell because it's yeah. specialized. It's 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 a portion of it. It's not the real thing. It's heavier, but, but it's the I guess that's exercise. what I would call it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he he like the only thing I would say that was different across the programs was the first program I would take a standing throw and then I would walk out and he would have us throw it back. So we were throwing like probably like 50 reps a session for about five to five to six weeks. And then we stopped doing that like throwback exercise. That's when it became, all right, now you just take three stands and then we go right into fulls and we were doing half turns with dumbbells. So the SDE first program, uh, we would do half turns with concrete block out outside. Uh, we would do it into a wall indoors, like the whole, like right away, you know, right away we were doing that stuff. So I, I think that's where in, in maybe I should go back and look at my actual, I mean, that was also 2007, 2008. I should probably go back and just look at the journals. And I, I use his books a lot for guiding, uh, like benchmarks for athletes now, but we were doing Dude, we were doing like the special development stuff like immediately right away. Like even the even the now I I also I had a good base of strength. Like I had benched at the time my best bench was like 220 kilos, like 480 in in college. I had a very good squat. I could snatch well and so when when he would give us snatches like it was 100k snatches as fast as you could go like boom boom boom. And we had a a guy come in Justin Rohde who he got put on like a more strength developed program, but I never got those, that, that style of program. Um, but yeah, in, in my mind, it was like not much changed from that first training session to when I was like peaking, he would just monitor what, what was happening based off of the training. And he would see, because we would measure every session. And to me, like the measurement of the distance that we were throwing in every session with the implement weight, that was sort of like how he would monitor like the weight room. It was like, okay, this is the metric that we're, we're using. So these days of the program, you're up these days of the program, you're down. Um, and then using that for future programs to predict when you would be up to, to, to get a, a big response for a bigger throw. Um, you know, do I think that that's the best absolute best system for throwing? Like, Probably not, but like it worked. And like, dude, we have Dr. B standing there and he's telling you like, yo, you can do better. You can throw farther. Like you're immediately going to throw farther because the dude was the nicest guy. On yeah. The let's say you're going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's also like one of those dudes that you just, you buy into him. And it's like, I think that, so the biggest thing I, I spent a lot of time going to his house and interviewing him and just asking him questions. And he would lay on his couch and half, half the time, I think he was asleep, uh, but he one time he, he sits up and he starts screaming at me and he's like, every system works. Every system works. You have to measure what you need to get from the athlete. And every single program can work as long as you're measuring success, as long as you're measuring what, what forces somebody to, to not throw as far. And as long as you can create this, this energy around the group, like you just have to be the coach that pulls them along. 
and make sure that the athletes aren't drinking too much, make sure that the athletes are eating well, make sure that they're recovering. And that's it. Like it's basically three specific things. And when he told me that it's like, okay. So like everybody looked at what he was doing as this like secret sauce. And it's like, yeah, that was his secret sauce, but everybody has their own secret sauce. Really? You're right. With you, you hit the nail on the head, in my opinion, about the the not drinking, eating properly, and recovering because that hit home to me because there was a kid who was a really good receiver for us at Towson, and he leaves to go away for his uh, pro day training, and he's like sending pictures back to his uh, position coach, and his position coach shows me. So then I hit the kid up. I was like, hey, man, how's training going? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm living at this house with other guys that are in the draft prospect. They're doing nothing but, like, they train, they come back, they play video games, card games. Uh, they're eating properly. They're not drinking. I was like, so really, all the things that I've been telling you yeah. while you were at college, you got away from the area. And, like, that's really what these places do is that's one of the best part about it is they're just getting you out of that environment where you're not having those same temptations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Man. Especially that age group. Um, how – no, keep going, Tuck. Well, I was going to say that age group, 18 to 24, it's like, dude, if you can keep kids, males especially are the worst. Like, chicks are not as as hard, but males, it's like 18 to 24. If you can stop them from – if you could just get them away from alcohol, really, it, that that's like yep. the biggest win that you can have as a coach. It's like, dude, what if you only drank four times for the next 12 months? Like, that's a huge win as a coach. So speaking to that, there was one time, I forget what book it was either a textbook or a regular book, but it talked about, I think it was in uh, one of the all blacks book, but it was about like periodizing when they would drink. So that way they weren't always tempted to go out. It's like, listen, no, you're not drinking except for these days. So that way they could enjoy it. And like, it was almost like a team bonding activity. Like, Hey, go drink with the fellas. Like this is your time to go do it. Other than that, you have to abstain from it. And I was like, gosh, I wish I could talk about this in a team setting with athletes without, like, the state school coming down on me. But, like, this just <laughs> seems like such a great idea. Yeah, you know what I mean? It is. It is. It's an awesome idea. And it, and it would keep it it would keep it would much more precise. And there would be less arrests in college as well. Oh, my gosh. Um, all right. So I want to get down to talking about Olympic lifting with you because you have a fantastic background in it. And... I have the notion that team sport athletes don't need to do Olympic lifting. Convince me otherwise, or just talk about like why it is more important than I might think it is not for team sport athletes. And I'm coming from the lens of how technical it is in a true appreciation for how difficult Olympic lifting is. And I'll, I'll preface it with when I was at Maryland football, the guy that was the head strength coach, Drew Wilson, he was working on what he told me and he, this could have been full of water, but it was bar sweeping. And he was literally had like different measured pieces of tape and it would get shorter and shorter working on the ability to pull the bar into him for that first pull. And because of just how highly technical and difficult Olympic lifting is, that's why I'm like, you know what, let's just find a way around it because these athletes don't actually do it as their competition. Yeah. I would say, I think it's important. I, I think this discussion to me is most important to look at it like why why do some guys weightlift or have weightlifting in their program and some guys don't and and i've always 
like we we could have this argument and i and i think it actually just comes back to one what was your coach teaching you like what did you do as an athlete um yeah and, and using my example dr b used weightlifting exercises dr b worked with the soviet group he he knew all these guys so he used weightlifting movements and my high school guy we use powerlifting movements and we use weightlifting movements so i was exposed to it early on two where did i have uh most success as an athlete where did i feel the most success was when i implemented and started to do weightlifting exercises so when i was a, a sophomore in high school i really really went hard on it and you know i would i would clean every single day because my dad bought me these krayberg bumper plates for my for christmas and we actually still have them here at the gym they're these big huge fat kraybergs and that was the only thing I got for Christmas that year. So I would go out the, the garage on a bar that wouldn't rotate and I would do power cleans. And that was the year that I sort of like popped off on the field. Now, I, what I, what I, you know, where I'm going with this is that I think that a lot of the training systems are going to be influenced by what your coach did and what you had most success with. And so yeah. to argue the point, I would say, or to, to, to go on your side, I would say like, I don't think you have to do it. Okay. I don't think you have to do it. And, and we have cases where we have athletes that they're, they're, you know, Alex Rose is an example. Sometimes he's, he still works full time. So sometimes when he's traveling, he's in a, he's in a, a hotel gym and he can't do weightlifting exercises for six, seven weeks at a time. And I don't think it's a big deal. It's like, Ooh. okay, yeah, we, we can figure out some way to piece together uh, the, the way to make progress with him. Now, with that being said, I would also argue if I have a kid that NARP, you get that, that, that non-athletic regular person, right? And I have him in sixth grade or eighth grade or 10th grade, and I took him from day one with a weightlifting background versus a bodybuilding background or a functional background or a powerlifting background, I believe, I do believe because of the transfer that I would get that that individual would be a little bit better in the weightlifting system than in the other systems that that's like a total anecdotal statement. Okay. I would argue there would be, I think the, the, the argument as far as, and I, I'm going to come back around to the technical side, but the argument for me is like, uh, if I, if I get an athlete, you know, if I use somebody like Haley, my, she's a 49 K lifter, she's, you know, 110 pounds. And one of the things I do with the South Dakota state guys is I'm like, dude, I've got a girl who's 110 pounds and she can clean 250. She can back squat 340 ass to grass. She's got a 28 inch vertical. Like if you guys can't do this shit, like you're pathetic. Um, now it's not the best coaching tactic, but it is fun to put people down sometimes. <laughs> now I, I think that. <laughs> Going and looking at it, it's like the transfer, you know, if I'm short on time, if I have athletes that are, are short on time, they've got 40 minutes to train or 30 minutes to train. It's like, all right, let's go in and do some uh, good power snatches and then just go in and hit bench. Like you can only train twice a week or something because they're short, they're working, whatever. I believe that the transfer from a snatch or the transfer from a clean or, or a full clean, if they've got the ability to do that, they have a background to do that and they're proficient with their movement pattern, it's going to transfer to the squat. It's going to transfer to their pull. Uh, and I, I'll always use this example. Sam Mattis, uh, who's the the one of the discus throwers that we train here, he's an Olympian, top eight at the Olympics in in Tokyo. He didn't do a deadlift for four years. Okay, so his best deadlift was six oh five. He didn't do a deadlift for four years, but we got him to clean four fifty. 
you know, we had a pow we we call this power fest, and we do a deadlift, back squat, and bench press. And he went into the deadlift, hadn't deadlifted four plus years, and he goes in and he pulls seven hundred. Now, my argument would be, the he, one, let's just acknowledge he's a freak. He's a genetic goat, right? Like he's he's got that ability. But two, I would argue. The transfer from those pulls, the transfer from the front squats, the transfer from mass aggress back squats carried over very well so that he could execute a very heavy deadlift. Now, then the discussion would be, all right, well, are we using deadlift in, in let's say, your system or not? I don't know. But I think that the where I would go is going back to the principles I learned from Dr. B is that the transfer of training is that if we can look at a lift and see what the, those specific lifts can transfer over to, then the more that those lifts can transfer then I want to try and develop those specific lifts because I can I can hone in on them. And then the other aspect is the variation is like if we can get a, an athlete to do a hang power clean, a, full, uh, a normal power clean, a one box power clean, a two box power clean. And, and we can see all of these variables, the different tools that start to open up. Then I can see that and help them, you know, potentially peak a little bit better, move a little bit better in specific positions. I can I can in theory see um different exercises carrying over based off of joint angles. Now, the other aspect then becomes how far do we teach technique? And I would argue the other big aspect that I learned directly from Dr. B was like, yo, you take, you take a full throw. Go, go take a full throw and we'll fix your technique. But when we're going to fix your technique, it's going to be with a full throw. I think the, the, the problem that I see in the, in the team setting is the way that they're teaching the technique. It should be Okay, one, what's the level of proficiency? How, you just need to be proficient. You don't need to be a world-class weightlifter. You need to be proficient in that movement pattern. And then two, the only way they're going to get better at it is if they do it more. And so we know there's a dose response from volume for strength. We know there's a dose response from volume for technique. So let's get these guys a little bit better. And maybe you just use it in, as, as warm-ups to a point or, or whatever. And so I think that that would be my next argument is – you don't get better at doing cleans or doing snatches, whatever it is, doing jerks by doing, you know, um, weird things with like just a dowel rod. Now we use a dowel rod to teach these positions in warmups and we'll break things down as a warmup that they're feeling these different patterns. But when we're teaching technique on day one here, we'll have kids that are in seventh grade, sixth grade, fifth grade, learning how to do a snatch day one, and they're doing it day one, day two, day three, day four. And so I think that that's my biggest argument is like, and, and now what I would do then is then look at your scenario and say, okay, well, if it's a team setting, if we have enough coaches, great. Now, if we're at a, at a point where we don't have enough coaches, that's going to bring up another, another issue of, okay, well, now we might not have enough eyeballs to actually give them proper cues. And then we have to see who doesn't have mobility or who has mobility. But a, a, another thing that I see consistently is like kids can't do a front rack. And it's like, all right, the fastest thing to do is if they can't do a front rack, don't have them clean at all. Have them do power snatches because they're likely going to actually be really stable when they catch a power snatch. So I would have them do power snatches lighter. Maybe you work on that front rack mobility, but like at the age of 20 or 21, is it worth spending all that time to improve their front rack? Or is it better to just be like, yo, let's squat more and jump more. And then it's like, all right, well, let's just squat more and jump more. So I think like I'm not a, a – going into the, the weightlifting discussion is like I'm not a dogmatic absolutist when it comes to it, comes down to it. And I think that that's like one of the big aspects. You've got to be willing to bend. Now my other argument though would be 
if you're at a power five and you can't get some of these guys to do these movements, then like you got to question and improve your training protocol and your technical teaching. And then, and then that comes back to like, dude, power five football players should be able to execute most of these movements. Some of them I wouldn't have doing them if they, if they don't have the background, you know, there, there might be a risk reward factor, but I think it comes back to a lot of these guys were taught the USAW method of technique and it's absolutely horrific. It's, it's terrible in the U S we love to micromanage technical coaching instead of just being like, dude, this is a snatch. This is a clean, this is a jerk. This is how you do it. And your first rep's going to suck. And the only way that you're going to get better is if you do this 5,000 more times, like that's, that's lifting. So deal with it and figure it out and stop. And let's write down goals and realize like, we can get to that next level. I love the fact that you said that because there are, that's something that no other coach that is an avid fan of the weightlifting technique will say they won't actually have the athlete complete the lift. And you saying that they do a day one, like, yes, that has to be it. Because for me, my biggest thing was like, how can you say just doing pulls and front squats is going to translate into doing the full thing. If you never actually let them do the real thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that I think that you know it's it's an interesting argument too. Where I don't know how to say this without being too abrasive, but like you you get like you see the memes about CrossFitters, and it's like you know, you meet a CrossFitter at the bar, and and then all of a sudden you're gonna know the other CrossFitter because they've got tattoos all over. And I'm and I'm nothing nothing against tattoos or anything, but they'll they'll have tattoos. They'll wear they'll wear high socks. <laughs> And they're going to tell you that they're on the carnivore diet. Like, they're all in CrossFitters. And the thing is, weightlifters will make fun of CrossFitters. But the weightlifting world is pretty similar in that they have a very, very similar, like, as soon as you, as soon as you encounter a strength coach that has a weightlifting background, it becomes like, oh, well, you know, this is how I teach to clean. And you have to have it. But it, it, in my mind, it's like, and there's a, there's a couple other real quirky things that weightlifting coaches do and i think that we've got to be able to bend a little bit with that because not everybody has the exact same background and some kids will come in at 20 with no at 20 years old no background in weightlifting and they can do shit perfectly and then some kids come in and they actually learn how to clean in high school and their techniques trash and it's like yo maybe this kid shouldn't be cleaning because he he yanks the bar he bends his arm he hunches his back he gets to his hip He's getting a bruise on his pelvic bone because he's banging the bar so hard. And then he and then he's getting choked out because he's so tight in his shoulders. And it's like, all right, well, maybe that's not the best situation for that kid. You know, we could do something else. And I, I think that's the the downfall of the the dogma. Is it's like there this goes back to that Dr. B thing, is like there's more ways to skin a cat and or there's a lot of effective ways to, to skin a cat, but like you can all get a very similar response just by slightly altering those movement patterns. Now, with that being said, the first thing I do when I inventory athletes and when kids come in the door here is like, we look at every single kid as even if they're in sixth, seventh grade is like, this could be the next kid that goes to the Olympics. This could be the next kid that goes to the NFL. And we have to develop them as best as we can and give them every single thing that we can to make that the best case scenario. And that's where I do believe in our system, you know, my system's based off of weightlifting. That doesn't mean that, somebody else's system that's not based on weightlifting 
is trash because ours is it's just this is our environment this is how we coaches this is the the gym is built around this system i can see responses i can see mobility issues around the movement patterns and that's how i had success as an athlete that's how i was coached by one of the greatest coaches of all time so that's my system but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the end all be all <clears throat> i love that that makes a ton of sense and um you know, kind of segueing from talking about Olympic weightlifting into, you know, collegiate coaches and maybe power five football or whatnot. But one of the things that I think you and I couldn't be more agreeance in is the fact that technology is kind of, there's too much of it. I personally think in sports. And like you said, there's people doing tendo units and people doing uh, oscillating movements when it's like, I've, you got an athlete that can't even do a single arm dumbbell row with a hundred pound dumbbell and you have them doing an oscillating row with 60 pounds, or they can't do a glute ham raise with weight yet. You're trying to have them oscillate. Like how do we fix that for the better? Because after hearing you talk, you have a, a what I would say is a pure heart. You're in this for the right reasons. You're in this to help change athletes' lives. Um, you know, and how can we make it better for other coaches that are doing those things where it's like, man, how, how do we just make this better? Yeah, I think that's where system-based work would come into play as far as like, okay, these are – I, a lot of this stuff I relate to to business. Which, by the way, I did want to bring up one thing you said in the in the video was you you said we didn't respond to you. I I want to bring this up because it it only peaked. Go me. ahead. You were like, oh, I reached out to them. Uh, they didn't get back to me. When you reached out to us, I was at Worlds uh, in Saudi Arabia, and we so we had a social media guy uh, left during literally like September fifth or something. He came back, or, or no, he left, and we hired a guy who started, like, September uh -huh. 25th, something like this. That was the time frame. And then you posted your video. I was like, dude, we didn't have anybody checking the DMs. Like, so you know, we, were, we, we were still posting, just like our team was still posting. But I did want to bring that up. And the uh -huh. only reason I'm, I'm doing that is because I, I, I start I, – because of COVID now, it was like, all right, how am I going to survive – so I, th I think through training now in a very similar lens to, to business, and I think that um, one of the biggest things I learned or I am learning with, with business stuff is that you've got to just do like the fundamentals well all the time. And then when you do the fundamental fundamentals well, first you've got to identify those fundamentals, but then when you do them well, you have to just keep doing them, doing them, doing them. And then as you have this baseline of fundamentals – then you can start to add in these different tactics that can be a little bit flashy. And like in the business world and in the strength training world, we love flashy objects. I'm the worst when it comes down to like shiny object syndrome or eyes. My eyes are bigger than my stomach, right? Like I see something, I'm like, oh man, we need to do that. You know, and I used to be really, really bad. And in the last probably four to six months, I've started to like be like, no, that's that's not that's not what's going to get us to do this. And so I think in the realm of strength and conditioning and what we've done is is essentially been like, all right, everybody that we have on site, everybody that we've worked with, you know, and then we'll talk with other strength coaches. Um, I'll spend you know, I'll go when I 
when I've gone to Penn State, I'll talk to Losi. I'll talk to their sports science guy, uh, Josh, about numbers and and key factors that they that they use, and we'll try and come up with specific benchmarks for all these different sports. Uh, and and you know we've we've had a lot of elite level athletes in a sport like let's say volleyball, soccer, football, wrestling, um, swimming, um, you know now uh, sprint cycling, and we'll try and lay that out, and then we'll look at it and say, okay, if we can get an athlete to elite to advanced to you know basically good versus intermediate like an intermediate to me would be like you make the varsity team good is like you're starting on the varsity team advanced is you're you're a division one athlete uh, elite is you can go post-collegiate in whatever that sport is so you could go to the nfl in theory or you could go to the olympics so those elite numbers will be here but then the benchmarks would be you know catered down or they would they would they would come down based off of the, that level. And if you can identify movements and exercises in your training system that get you to that level, all things being equal, because some kids don't have the best technique, so they might have to have higher absolute strength or whatever the, 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 the exercises you're using to develop these individuals. So we try to tie, we try to identify these sports, and I'm, I'm going to answer your question. We try to identify the sport type, and then we, we try to tie, like, five to eight key movements to those sport types. And then when we tie them to them, the, the movements to the sport type, the next step then is, okay, what have we done here over the last 15 years? Who have we talked with? What research do we have, you know, in publicly and in private settings to help inform these, these benchmark movements, these benchmark goals, and then you look at it and you say, okay, where is, to me, there's a point of diminishing returns for strength, for absolute strength in its classic form, but it's much further down the line than we realize. So where can we establish that? And then you look at your toolbox and you say, okay, most cases, especially kids up till like 20, if they just squat more and sprint more and jump and and bench more or do more pull-ups they're they're gonna be fine like literally they go run hill sprints they're gonna be fine for the most part and the the goal then is like you just slowly bring in a tool and you say okay they, they have a you know based off of this testing period and let's say it's three or four times out of the year now you can start to see a consistent growth pattern or if they're stagnating and then you can bring in that unique uh tactic or tool and, and you know you were discussing the oscillation, uh, the the crazy exercises that might be out of the, like the shiny objects, right? And so then it's like, all right, well, Alvin Kamara has a video of him doing some real crazy shit. So people see Alvin Kamara doing those movements and they're like, well, if Alvin Kamara does it, I need to do it. Or, you know, but then they don't think about, well, do you really? Like Barry Sanders didn't do that movement. Barry Sanders is back squat 600 pounds. Ooh benched a lot, did a lot of pull-ups, ran a lot of hill sprints, and you power cleaned heavy. Like, okay, well, maybe that's all you have to do. So it's like, I think the main thing for for strength coaches is really like, what are those benchmark numbers? How do we educate the public or the the client or your athletes on those benchmark numbers? Then we clarify how much time and accountability goes into developing those specific numbers. And then we educate them on like the shiny object stuff. Like, okay, we can do that like here and there just to like tickle your fancy so that you can post it on Instagram for social media. But in all reality, that's not your training system. 
Like you, I, I might have people do crazy jumps literally just because they want to post it and then tag some football guys that are recruiting them that hit them up on X or something. And it's like, all right, do it. I don't care. Like we know that you can do it. So then it looks like the problem is then people look at it and they're going like, oh man, they do this. It's like, well, no, we basically just do a shitload of single leg squats. Like we single leg squat all the time. We do cleans. We bench a lot all the time and we do a lot of pull-ups and we do rope climb shit like that. So like they don't see the system. So I, I think like to go back and answer that, it's like clarifying what are those very, very tangible numbers that we can get our athletes to work towards. And once they work towards those tangible numbers and, and they buy into them and then they understand how those numbers move, you know, those numbers will increase based off of these other efforts and then most importantly, you just got to show up four or five days a week. Like you can't, you can't train twice a week and become world-class. And it's like the shiny object. And that's what a lot of these kids think nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's they'll, they'll see the shiny object and they'll say, um, well, that, that, that guy does it. So I just need to do that. No, that guy came up in, in a very specific setting. He's also a genetics goat. And that's not what's going to be the bridge to get you to that point. And I think it's just clarifying that over and over, like thousands and thousands and thousands of reps to all the coaches and teaching coaches. Like, look, this, that's not the way to develop an athlete. No, no, it's not. And so what, you know, what is your teaching system for your coaches that you have uh, in your gym? And how do you blend that with the, like you said, the different types of athletes that you have coming in, whether it's in season, out of season, like what is your mm -hmm. overall 10,000 foot view? How do you do that? I think the biggest thing, like, you know, again, we do use weightlifting movements. So the biggest thing is that we all are consistent with how we coach a clean or a snatch and then the, all the variations. We're fortunate where we have jerk boxes. Okay, we've got three different sets of jerk boxes. So we do a lot of jerks, like behind-the-neck jerks and stuff, and we educate people on, on the safety of it and, and things like that. Educate on uh, – we, we use full range of motion high bar back squats. We do low bar partial range of motion back squats we do pin squats we do front squats we do single leg squats we do probably single leg squat more than anything as far as leg strength but the whole goal is like we look at with the coaches is like okay if you have athletes in football um this is this is the numbers they have to build towards for a vertical jump and to to fuel that vertical jump they've got to squat a little bit more and we got to get more jumps on a specific day uh, and then we have what we call like impulse day, which is like moving weight as, as it's a, it would be like a dynamic day in a, in a conjugate system. Um, but with weightlifting yeah. exercises and, and things like that, like, and we'll do unbroken back squats. We'll do unbroken single leg squats, like, uh, a lot of pad benches really fast, stuff like that. So it's like, if for us, like we've got, you know, I'll do a shameless plug. We've got a, a book garage strength program design, and that's literally like our textbook that we use for on-site coaches and they implement it. And, and then when somebody signs up and they come in and train, and this is for like kids in middle school, high school, collegiate kids, the post-collegiate system is they're, they're coming and training with me. Um, but when these kids come in, then it's like, all right, are you a field sport? Are you a power sport? Are you a racket based sport? Uh, and we actually put baseball in with racket. Um, uh, you know, are you endurance sport? Are you combat sport? And then each one of those labeled areas 
has their specific benchmarks that they have to build towards and they all have their own training system that they have to build towards. And then when we do specific warmups or specific recovery tactics, that's where it gets pretty, a bit more individualized specific to the individual's problems uh, based off of their movement pattern. And so it's like trying to implement that as consistently as possible um, from that top down. And then now the, the, the area that we've struggled with is like, since I've stopped training like the middle school, high school kids, it's like, how can we get that intensity in the back? Like, Cause we have two areas of the gym. How can we get that intensity to come back up now that I'm not doing that area? And, and how can I educate as a, now as a business owner and as a leader for them, as a coach, I need to do a better job training our trainers to, to keep it, as close to the system that it was when I was in the back training. And so that's like a, that's like an area that we're you know, like, we're navigating and, and going through as, as our own, as we're, we're trying to develop that coaching system. So it's, it keeps getting better and better. And then eventually as a business, I'm, I'm going to release that to the public. I'm going to put that on the back end of, of peak strength or app, you know, and I know this, I know team builder sponsors this. I've worked with team builder and we want to do stuff like that on peak strength but even better and use our training system and our education system to make it even better for coaches to understand. And so that's like that long-term it's just, dude, it's just like freaking lifting. It's like, if we can just keep educating our coaches as well as possible rep after rep, after rep, after rep, that's, there's no other, there's not another alternative, you know, it's just the work. <clears throat> Hearing you talk about that. It sounds a lot like the evolution within college football uh, or college strength and conditioning of assistant head into that athletic director, assistant AD role. What, what is that then piece of advice? Because like you said, if you're removing yourself from the floor, how are you growing that? And like, how have you been able to learn to know that you need to detach and let people do it themselves, but then also have your hand in it because that is what happens as you, you know, rise the ranks in business and in, in college strength and conditioning. Yeah, that's that. Okay. So that's, that's been hard. Like when we, okay. So first I would just clarify that from, you know, I train the throwers 10 30 to 12. So there's nobody in the gym at that point. Like we're just, I'm just with the throwers, my, my throwers, post-collegiate throwers Sundays. Yep. Uh, on Sundays we train and, and a lot of like the normal people will see our our weightlifters and our throwers and in the past uh, when we have guys like in the in the spring coming in for football based training like if they're training for a combine or training for you know they're they're in free agency or something um, we might train some of them during the time that the that the that the normal the normal high school kids would be here so they would see me still on the floor Um Mm-hmm. And when I'm training now, my weightlifting session with my elite level, like the the world class weightlifters, is 4:30 to 6:30 about, and that's when a lot of our our clientele does come in. So they they see me, but I'm I'm in a different part of the gym with just just them, so they don't see me as much. So to answer that, I think when we when we so we we were in a garage, and then we my sister and I bought a farm together, and we moved into the barn, and so we had you know the barn was heated by coal and wood stove, but this was like a rocky hard 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 gym and then we by 2017 i we had saved up enough and we were able to move to where we're at right now which is ironically another giant like garage warehouse essentially um and so when we moved here i was fortunate enough that there was like a physical separation of me from the the 
general pop i would i would call it or whatever however you want to call it um but but what ended up happening was i th- i think it's like if you want to scale and you want to make a decent amount of money and you want to pay your bills and survive you know and not not live paycheck to paycheck you have to learn how to scale the team so that your team can train more people and if you train more people there's a couple things that happen you one you make more money because it's scalable two you impact more people like i think that's the biggest thing that people yeah. forget it's like dude my goal is i want to have a hundred two hundred three hundred olympians three hundred you know nfl guys like I want to do cool shit. That's it. That's all I want to do. And if I can pay my bills and and go out and eat Indian food once a week, I'm going to be happy because I love Indian food, right? Like that's <laughs> literally like the goal. I know it sounds absurd, but it's like so that has to be the focus on the business then is like all right, when we get to this point for us to make more money, I've got to step out and try and become a better leader. And then I've got to try and organize all the moving pieces around social media. And then we have to figure out ways to scale online. And I want to try and train somebody. I want to train Dane Miller when he was 16 that now lives in Idaho and has no access to a gym. I want to figure out how I can help that kid and, and help improve one so that we can have a positive impact on that kid. And maybe he becomes uh, an elite level thrower and he comes and trains with us with us on site here in, in 10 years, you know, or he becomes a, an elite level football player, whatever that, that sport is wrestler, whatever. And I think that for, for me, it was like it's trying to identify those points. That it's like, all right, I need to back out here. I still want to coach. And then eventually I, I actually am like figuring this out now where it's like, there will be a point when this is funny, where if, if we have the offices like right behind us, so some of these guys are going to be like, dude, Dane just figured this out. Like last week. Uh, it's like, <laughs> Once I, the company has a certain level of, of let's say profit, like profit of revenue, right? That's the point where we can now hire somebody to be the CEO. I don't want to be the CEO. I want to be the freaking head strength guy. I want to yeah. be the head coach. Yeah, so then yeah, yeah. it's like, all right, once we get to that point, now someone's taking that over. I don't want to do any of this bullshit. I want to go down and train, you know, and maybe I'm only training three to four hours a day because we're making enough money in it. But then I also can support the, the onsite group so that we can continue to develop more Olympians and, and, and do more cool shit. And I think that it's figuring out where the constraints are in the company. It's figuring out where the constraints are with the, with the athletes that you're training and it's just picking them off. And, and what's the next one? What's the next problem? What's the next problem? What's the next problem? And you just keep doing that over and over and over again until, you know, we get to that number and we get to the, you know, and the, you know, you know, this too is like the other hard part is, well, now, how do you balance that with having a family? You know, that's the hard part. Yeah, yeah. The ego and the selfishness. <clears throat> what was your aha moment then? My aha? Yeah, because you um, said the guys that listening back there and be like, dude, you just figured it out last week. Like, how did you do that? Selfishly, I want to know. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I think the I think COVID was the biggest thing that got me on the path to realizing for me to accomplish my dreams, I have to, I, I never wanted to focus on making money. I never wanted to focus on developing a business because it'd be like, Oh, well now I'm like changing. But it's like, I realized that developing the company will help me achieve more of these goals that I have as a strength coach. And that my passion is, is being the best coach I can be. Um, I had a, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll be, I'll be quick with this story is like when COVID hit, I randomly found John Meadows email and I emailed him three times and he finally got back to me 
And he just said, he was like, I, I want to meet with you. This is before he passed away. I want to meet with you and talk to you. And we got on a Zoom call and, you know, this was right in the heart of COVID. Like April, it was like April 5th, I want to say of 20. Uh, and we, he talked to me for like Ooh. two plus hours about what he would recommend I do. And I, I literally just, he was like, just do one thing for me. You have to go all in on YouTube and you can't stop for two years. And that, like that, that was a kickoff point, essentially. I mean, COVID um, was like the catalyst. And then that was like the kickoff. All right, now we got to go. And then it was like, okay, now we got to try and get better and better and better and better. And it's been you know, three plus years now of us trying to operate as smoothly as we can. And then we just keep trying, you know, and now I'm starting to see it where it's like, we're laying out the structure of our company. Like we don't even have a business structure in some sense, right? Like, like you look at some of these other companies, you're like, oh, oh, so they have like department heads. Oh, maybe we should do that. And it's like stuff you don't think about that people on the outside probably are like, oh yeah, they're different. They're, yeah, they're a legit company. But it's like, I, I think setting it up, honestly, like I look, I'm starting to look at everything now, like in business as strength and conditioning and in the strength and conditioning world, I'm looking at it as business. And it's like, uh, I, I had that conversation with, with my, like, I guess I would call him like my right hand man. And with my wife, who's, who's a key role in the company. And they're like, look, do you want to run the company or do you want to be a good coach? Like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I, I didn't. I didn't have an answer. I didn't know because I also don't like traveling as much as I do. I travel quite a bit. And I, I'm a home person. You know, our gym is a mile from where I grew up. So I'm a homebody. Like my, the joke growing up was that my umbilical cord would get stretched too much and I couldn't leave my mom. But now I'm like flying all over the world and I'm going like, well, do I want to travel as much as I am? And, and it comes back to like, you know, Trevor comes up to me and he's like, dude, there's a lot of people that can run businesses. And if we can set this system in place and let it flow and let it run, and then we get to a point, you are you, not a lot of people can coach the way that you can coach. And I think that 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 was like one of the things for me. And I went home and talked to my wife, and I'm like, I think I think I do want to go the route of coaching versus being a CEO because I get more out of that emotional connection in athletics. It's so fun to fucking beat people, dude. It is so fun to experience that to 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 see someone that you've been with from day one, like achieve something that they never thought that they could achieve. It's so fun. You know, the ego side is beating people. The non ego side is like, you know how much that person worked and then they achieve something that they never thought that they could do. That's like the best part of being a coach. And that's what I love. Like, that's like, that's what gives me goosebumps. So it's like making tons of money and, and, and eating Indian food every week is great. But, the the goosebumps and the the experience is more valuable that's a clip we should put on instagram uh, right there i i agree <laughs> is so is indian food technically can, is that the same as like pad thai because for me pad thai is the, is my jam no it's, that... it's it's different uh indian food would be more curry based pad thai is great too pad thai is great indian food would be like fantastic I, yeah, you would like it probably. You should find one in your area and get the 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 introduction meal would be like chicken tikka masala. <laughs> <laughs> you're speaking to my soul right now with what you're yeah. talking about, though, with like being you know coach or CEO, like being the two. And again, whether you're private sector or if you're in college, it's are you a coach or are you an admin, and and that's a difficult situation for coaches because, like you said. How do you get to the point where you're setting up systems and it's scalable and you can be 
away but still be together like that's that's a difficult dichotomy no oh for sure yeah and the, and the hard part is is like this is olympic year and we're doing a lot of movement in in my specific situation we're doing a lot of different things we're hiring people you know we've we've got 13 employees and and it's it's hard wow, to balance you. the growth of the company and still give enough to the athletes that i have so that we can get to the Olympics and, and do the things that we need to do. So it's like, I think it's a, it's, it's a very challenging thing that I, I think you just have to constantly re review and, and revisit. Like, what do you, what's your passion? You know? And I think as a parent, like I, the more I, we do this, the more I realize like my role as a parent solely comes back to providing enough support in a positive manner so that my children find their passion. That's it. Because if they find their passion, they're going to want to do it all the time. And if they want to do it all the time, they'll do it more. And if they do it more, they're going to be successful. And they're probably going to be able to make money. And, and that's, that's it. So that's when I, like, that's what I think for us as business owners and as, you know, or maybe you're, maybe you are someone like, like using Losi only, you know, because I know like he doesn't really train that much he's setting things up. He's more of like that admin. And I think that you have to just like weigh, weigh what your passion is and where you want to go and, and constantly revisit it over and over again to, to identify like, yeah, this is really genuinely what's going to make me happy or not. <clears throat> Amen to that. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I, I do want to go on record saying is I, I had everything mixed up about you and the things that you were going wrong. Like you're a super down to earth dude. Um, I was wrong about all the, th the things that I said before. And uh, like I said, I'd formally like to apologize and say, Hey man, like you're a real dude. Like, I feel like we would have probably loved to slang and bang and, and train together and probably, um, you know, be coaching athletes at the same time, man. I appreciate that a lot, dude. I, I, I do. It's like one of those things where I, I was like, man, I'm sorry. I feel bad. Like you got offended. And there's things I got, I did in that, that video that I, I, I should have, you know, and, and also that video was two years ago. I feel like I'm better at, at expressing my thoughts now. Um, one, I'm more mature, a little bit more mature Two, We've been on, on YouTube longer. So I've had more, I've had more experience with how I would piece together the, the delivery. I actually, Aaron Feld, who was at Oregon at the time actually DM'd me from that video and he and I ended up having like a, an hour and a half Zoom. I mean, now he's at Miami only because of that video. And it was it, what was interesting is like, you know, a couple of things I could have clarified was the 6 a.m. stuff. I could have done a better job. Like I I hate it, but I love it at the same time. Um, and some of the other things around the technology and, and whatnot. Uh, I, I think that all that stuff, it was just I, I think you're dude. I, I would say this is like. I, I have no ill will or anything and I'm actually happy. Like think about it this way for me is like we can connect now and discuss this and this might lead to more growth for both of us. I don't freaking know what hokey shit you want to throw out there, but it's going to make us both better. So it's like, I thought it was cool that you wanted to talk about it. Cause most people would be like, Oh, that dude's an asshole. Like, all right, well let's at least talk and maybe you'll find out that I'm not an asshole, you know? And then that that's, you know, I think that's the best thing that we can do as people. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like I'm talking to myself because it's the same way. Like, how can we actually just have a constructive talk about it? Because, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, I wouldn't say that I'm 
you know, hook, line, and sinker again, going to be doing um, Olympic lifts with all of my athletes. But for sure, hearing you talk about that, like, I will agree with you that, <clears throat> like, with my children that are young, if you can start introducing things to them at a younger age, yeah, you're probably right. But when I, you know, <clears throat> when I was working at schools with kids and, hey, we got to win now and how can I get yeah. a bigger, faster, stronger right away? Like, ah, yeah, yeah. not not I, to mention the fact of like, man, when these athletes are, but like at the very least, because we had that conversation, it's like, man, you know, like I heard you say that and I'm like, shit, I might just start do, like I already trained this morning, but I might fucking go do some cleans or some snatches like shit. He's got my like, well, I, I, I yeah, you know, to get like, in, in, I, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I, I was gonna say I almost relate it to like gymnastics. It's like when, when you get a gymnast athlete you know they're going to be studs like right away because so young at such a young age they're doing super complex stuff and it's like the more complexity you can give a kid at an earlier age i think the payoff on the back end is going to be that much greater so that's sort of where i i pitch it as well with the 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 younger individual athletes whereas i think in your case that that you know oh we got to win this year well should we spend six weeks doing dowel rod power cleans probably not like, no, we shouldn't do that. You know, like that's not going to be the best payoff. So, yeah, I, yeah I'm glad no, we had to talk to him. Amen to that. But that's you actually you actually will say that, though, because other coaches won't. Yeah, yeah. We do have to talk about the women's bars at some point. I Please talk about it. Let's go. I was going to say I was going to say, though. So so the thing that I think with the women's bars is that um, I'm also realizing my freaking computer is about to die and it's plugged in which i don't know why that's going to happen but um uh yeah i was thinking through this i'm like okay if we bought a hundred bars for at a college and i would i would say let's say that the that's 50 or 60 based off title nine it should be 50 50 right men and women what would happen is women's bars are actually cheaper than men's bars so now you would remove let's say out of the hundred bars you would remove Let's say 40 men. You really only bought 80. Yeah. So now it's actually cheaper if you have women's bars and men's bars. And then going into the training side, women can have a better, a bigger, like they, they can lift more. If you're doing pulls or or doing like weightlifting movements, they can lift more on a women's bar than they can on a men's bar. So if I'm basing my training around load, I will get a better response from them physically. They're going to get stronger using the women's bar and we'll save some money. That was my pitch. That's you know what, that's that's got to be another clip too because that's that's a pretty good point. I didn't think about that. Now I don't know what schools buying a hundred bars. They might be buying thirty to forty. Um, I was saying maybe on the whole, you know. University. But that's uh, that's a that's a pretty good pitch there. Is there anything else that you want to try to uh, rebuttal from from the video? I don't even remember what the the ten. No, 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 no. The, that, like that the was... Olympic lifting shoes. I agree. Like if you can squat and I tried to get Olympic lifting shoes for the guys at Towson, but yeah. I I don't like jumping in Olympic lifting shoes. I and I know them. a lot of people will do some pap. Yeah, yeah. I I would not jump in them. Uh, I I have yeah. nothing else because that was one thing you would. I I wouldn't jump in them. Um, I, I don't understand why if you're a power five school, some of the bullshit they buy, it's like, dude, just buy shoes before you buy anything oh, else. Yeah. Like, um, I, I don't have anything else as far as the, the, the video is concerned. And actually I, I want to do another one of those videos and just make it like more eloquent, like a little bit less jabby and more like, look, this is stuff, uh, that I just see and, and, and just 
make it I, I think the biggest thing that i've learned from youtube specifically and meadows said this early on he's like dude the biggest thing is like just be positive don't be a dick and it's like now i've been on it and and doing this stuff it's like the less i can piss people now i also think it's important to be a little abrasive to get people to think but there's no reason to attack specific yeah. people it's more so about like look this is what yeah. i do this is what works this is what's successful if you have issues let's just talk about it don't be a little baby but i and i think that's what i love about <laughs> this is like you and i had this initial disagreement now we're coming through and it's like all right well I'm going to have some disagreements. You're going to have some disagreements, but we can still like communicate properly like adults. Yeah, no, I mean, if anything, now uh, I will agree with you. Like now I'm excited to be able to have somebody like, hey, uh, this is probably going to be something that who knows where this continues to go. Like we'll continue to, you know, talk off this episode. And yeah, uh, I'm excited about this. Um, It's getting close to your time to train your thrower. So I want to respect that. For anybody that has not followed you before, um, where should people continue to learn about you and whatnot along your journey? Okay, so my website's garagestrength.com. My YouTube channel is uh, at gar- or just Garage Strength. I also have a throws-based channel, Throws University, and then both of those on Instagram as well, Garage Strength and Throws University. Uh, my personal Instagram is at GhostfaceDMilla, and then... Um, I would say, you know, if you if you guys need help, uh, I don't want to step on a team builder here, but if you guys need help with your programming uh, and, and you you're struggling with specific sports performance, you could download Peak Strength. That's our app where we we've got 37 different uh, sports, including Olympic weightlifting, and we've got over 750 exercises in there, and we're just improving that over and over again. So that's sort of where we have our training, um, but everything's based at GarageStrength.com and PeakStrength.app. You heard it there, folks. I appreciate you, man. You have a good rest of the day, and hopefully the throwers have a good lift. Yeah, yeah. You too, man. Thanks for having me on.